0: Mac geek uh, premium number two thirty three for Monday, December 28th, 2009. Welcome to what may very well be the final Mac Geek Gab of 2009. And John, to 2009, I don't know what you say, but I say, good riddance. Um, How are you, John? That was my, my mostly positive I'm, intro for the show.
1: <laughs> I'm on vacation, so, yeah. There you go. So you're already, uh, already no, past 2009. I'm thinking about it. but uh, right. No, I'd say it had had its ups and downs.
0: Yeah, there you go uh okay so we have this is uh, our second of our premium shows so thank you to all of you who uh, who are subscribing and listening here we really really appreciate your support and there's more of you every day uh we re- it's fantastic so from from both john and i thank you very much yes i'd like to welcome pilot peak back to the set hey everybody there good he to is be here good to be anywhere well, yeah, I'm glad from you say we thank both of you for signing up, so it's going good. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm trying to be positive. Yeah, there it is. That's right. That's right. Congratulations. That's right. No, this is a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. Excited
1: Pete's you. smarter because he's back from school. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And I'm going back to school to get even
0: more smart. Even more smarter. <laughs> that's right. More <laughs> smarter. <laughs> uh, so right. we have a, a uh, John, you know, we've got a pretty typical show here, but... Uh, I don't what? know. I was violently opposed to the first part. What you were, were. Going to talk about, but oh well, you know. that's only. I thought because I'd let you know. That's only because you talked to the lawyers, <laughs> and the the reason is over the weekend is, and as many of you may have remembered from a previous show, my daughter expressed an interest in getting a netbook. Uh, to which we were, you know, sort of on the fence, but in the end, we decided it was a good idea, so we would let her go ahead and order a Dell uh, Mini Ten V. And we got it for her Helped I helped her get it through the refurb store. So she spent all her birthday money, uh, which was uh, actually not all of it, but, but she spent 259 bucks on getting this thing through the refurb store. And that's a Dell mini 10 V, which is a 10 inch screen. It's got the better video than the mini 10. And we'll talk about why that is in a minute. Uh, And got it with the standard uh, 802.11 G wireless circuitry in it. And, the reason we got her the 10 or we encouraged her to get the 10 V instead of the 10 is because the 10 V is the one that is ha- most hackintoshable. The 10 uh, does not support the video isn't quite supported by OS 10. What uh, oh, What do you mean by hackintosh? Dave? Yes. So what I mean is this machine came with Windows XP on it, but we were able to get Mac OS 10 running on it. And I want to talk about how I, I went ahead and did that, uh, it was a very, very much simpler process than, uh, than I had initially thought, really because I, th- I
1: thought just to, to you know to being a newbie at this, which mm-hmm. I am, um, OS 10 will make sure I believe that whatever it is being installed on is a piece of Apple hardware or well, That's how it should work.
0: Well uh,
1: or that's how it should work <laughs> or that, that's how Apple would like it to work, I believe.
0: um, yeah okay i I think really what it is is that the dvd that the install dvd that comes with mac os 10 you know the 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 mac os 10 snow leopard dvd as well as the mac os 10 leopard dvd so 10.6 and 10.5 will only boot on a macintosh but once they're booted they don't really care okay so uh, there's a guide over at Gizmodo that has become the de facto standard. So I'm going uh, to we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And John, I've got all these links for you for, uh, you know, for building the show notes. So I'll, I'll put these in the Dropbox for you. Uh, so there's a guide at Gizmodo that really walks you through this process. And it, it really is a two step process unless you have to do the third step, which I had to do. And so the third step, which is really the first step, is that. This Dell Mini 10 V came with BIOS version A06, and there's an issue where BIOS A06 has something that causes the Mac OS X installer to kernel panic and blue screen and, and fail. I, I don't know or think that it's intentional, but it's just a reality. So you now by BIOS, do you mean, is this like EFF
1: or, is, or are you talking something different?
0: EFI, you mean?
1: Or EFI, I'm sorry. Yeah, EFF is, is the, the electronic, which is the archi- I'm sorry, which is the architecture that all newer both Apple and other machines support instead of BIOS. E-
0: yes, that's right. So this is the the built in operating system, if you will, on on the Dell, and and there are different versions of it, and it's it's the firmware that's installed on the machine itself, regardless mm-hmm. of whatever operating system runs on top of it. Uh, and on Windows machines and Dells in particular. You usually you hit a key on startup like F2 is what it, what you hit on this Dell machine to get into the configuration screen for this BIOS. And it's there that you set uh, how, you know, various different hardware and uh, hardware parameters, what you what your boot priority is, if you want it to boot, you know, uh, removable disks or the hard disk first or whatever all that stuff is. So uh, but. I realized this machine came with a 6 I bought it refurb. I thought maybe it'll come with the slightly older version of the bios because a zero six only came out in November. But no such luck. It came with a six. So can you downgrade? You can. But it is ah. it is a it is a it is a theoretically risky process in that you are rewriting the firmware. You're going backwards a step, which it's not built to do. And you you run the risk of turning your computer into a brick. And at that point I thought, well, you know, the, the, the refurbs from Dell, yeah. they come with a one year warranty. We, <laughs> you know, we make them believe we felt it was done on arrival and, you know, hush, hush, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, new machine arrives. So I wasn't that worried about it. Got it. In the Gizmodo instructions, the idea is that you can't get back from AO6 to AO5. You have to go back to AO4 because that's the only one that's available for download in that sense. Uh, and to do that, you have to build a separate, you have to use a Windows machine. And I believe you could use the very Windows machine that you're on, the, the Mini 10V. You have to build a DOS bootable USB drive and then copy the firmware over there, including the firmware updater. boot from this thing and then downgrade the firmware from A06 to A05. I did a little more searching and at a site called MyDellMini.com, I found a guide using windows to downgrade it from a06 to a05 so not only did i not have to create this funky little extra boot disk in the process but i was able to get it to a05 instead of a04 so i'll send i'll send a link to that it worked swimmingly once i had it down now comes step two the mini 10v does not have a dvd drive and as i indicated before even if it did i would have had to the, the the native out of the box Snow Leopard DVD that you buy would not work uh, to uh, to to boot on this. So what you do is you get a USB drive. Now, in this case, I actually used the um, WinTech 48 gig uh, SSD drive that we have. But really, it just needs to be any USB drive over eight gigs. You take the Snow Leopard DVD and you use disk utility to clone it onto this. Uh, this USB drive. And and part of that's because you have to do something special to it. And the other part is, again, the mini 10 V does not have a DVD drive. So you gotta you gotta do USB. So I put the I put Snow Leopard on it and then you go download something that's that's stored at, in the public domain, if you will, at code.google.com called netbook bootmaker. And you run this little utility and you tell it, yep, yeah, this is the volume that has this this uh you know macros 10 installer on it. And it goes and adds some special files out there and and they do two things: one, they set it up so that it will boot on a uh, on a windows machine that that uses BIOS and then number two, it installs some drivers that are then going to be put into OS 10 after the install is done to manage things like the trackpad to give it a video profile and uh, and various uh, other things. yeah, kind of like boot camp kind of yeah very, very similar to boot camp. And that you're you're putting
1: drivers to kind of nudge it into the direction that that will work on the mac.
0: You got it. That's that's excellent. excellent. Yep. So once you build that thing, then you go onto your Dell with your BIOS A05 or prior and uh you plug this drive in, you go into the BIOS, you say look boot USB as you know ahead of the hard drive which you can set the boot priority and you start it up. And sure enough, you know, the Apple, the gray screen with the Apple logo comes up. And after a little while, it says, welcome to Mac OS 10 installer. And uh, and it, it, you know, it just acts like a Mac. And here's the thing, even it, and this is the thing that makes me, you know, before when you said so Apple makes it so that this won't work. You know, once I got inside the installer, I was able to connect to my wireless network. This is from the installer, mind you, not even once the OS 10 was on the machine. It saw the full full resolution of the screen. The trackpad worked properly. Everything just sort of worked huh. now. Now, granted, this netbook bootmaker thing did its magic to get it there. But it just seemed too smooth. It, like Apple doesn't really want to, you know, make this difficult. Well, they're still selling copies of OS Ten. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's- and and you know well I don't people know about that
1: now you got nah, to assume somebody who's going to do this sort of thing is going to be one that's just not going to pay yeah. for the operating system. Well, I, I think
0: that's a fair. <laughs> yeah, that That's and, a fair assu- And if you hear assumption. this, but they're shake not going to support it, me. and
1: that's what costs them money is supporting it, and they're not going to support it.
0: Oh no! no. So, no well, that was way. my thought too. Yeah, so it's no. Yeah. They're like, okay, what's your
1: yeah? What's your what system profiler saying? You're like. You know, yeah, it says Netflix Inspiron. Book. It says Inspiron 1011 <laughs> <10, laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah, oh, we don't make that model anymore. Go yeah. <laughs> away. I th- <laughs> no, I, I think their script at that point says hang up on.
0: <laughs> yeah, as well <laughs> it should trace call call FBI. <laughs> yeah, it, no, they just don't even want to waste their time. Sure. No, you're right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. But it it does All get right. people into the family or keeps them in the family, and and so there there is one caveat, and that is that you know I was able to do software updates and everything, but. I knew to stay away from 1062. I brought her up to 1061. 1062, by default, removes support for the Atom processor, which is what this thing has oh, now. Oh yeah. Now that processor that. is a it's single an Intel processor. It's a single core, but identifies itself as two CPUs. It uses something that that Intel has called hyper threading. Yes, hyper
1: threading. Okay.
0: Yeah. And they have dual core atoms. i I, I verified. Okay. That. Okay. This one's not. It's yeah, a Hyper
1: threading point... is weird because yeah, it appears
0: sometimes to to various BIOS as two cores, which is like, huh? <laughs> right, but it's not. It was sort of the predecessor to the the multi-core thing and and you know, but whatever. Yeah. But it's a one point six gigahertz single core dual threaded processor. And uh and and 1062 removes support for this. Now uh, there is a hack to uh make the 1062 two kernel work with, with, uh, with the atom processors. I looked at that and thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and wait till 106.3 three comes out and then I'll decide how I want to manage this path going forward. Cause 10, six, one is going to work just fine for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, so I've left it at that and it works great. It's got a built in camera, so she can do all the Skype stuff she wants to do with her friends. And she's got, uh, you know, some friends in various spots of the country and in the world, actually, that she Skypes with regularly. And she's able to do all her email and her web surfing. And, uh, you know, pages and, and all of that stuff runs just fine. The screen is 1024 by 600. So what we hmm. uh, what we found is that hiding the dock, definitely a must. Right, you got to get that dock because you need that height on the screen for a lot of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, but it, it, it worked fine. Now, uh, one thing I want to point out is that in the BIOS, one of the instructions they tell you when you set the USB drive to boot first, you have to set legacy USB on, and and I don't know why that is, but but they say do that for the installation, mm-hmm. so I did, however. What I found, at least with BIOS A05, and it may be different with prior versions, but with A05, certainly, if I put the machine to sleep, either by letting it fall asleep or or uh, putting the, the lid down, and then tried to wake it up, it would start to wake up and then freeze. If I went back into the BIOS, once I turned legacy USB off, it would wake back up fine. Uh, and mm-hmm. I remembered seeing this with, with some other Windows laptops and Windows, and that's what made me think to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, bear that in mind any of you that that are going to go out and uh and do this. Cool. Yeah. But uh and 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 then it it actually puts uh an application called Netbook Installer in the applications folder and you can set other system and boot options there like like turning on remote CD uh so that you can mount CDs that are on other uh you know that are on other Macs just like you can with a MacBook Air. Um but uh but other than that, it, it works fine. I, I, I installed or I set up time machine to back up to our time capsule, but I told it to skip system files because I figured, you know, there's no way that I'm going to be able to net boot this machine and and restore system files to it. So there uh, I didn't see a whole lot of reason to back up her system files, you know, and, and put those out on the time capsule. Um, maybe maybe I'm making a mistake there, but I don't think so. So, um yeah but it 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 works in fact, I, I put istat menus on it and and it shows two cores for her processor, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it only shows I think two temperatures: the CPU and the hard drive. Uh, it's got a hundred and sixty gig Western digital hard drive in it, so you know plenty of room for her. uh but weirdly enough, and I haven't messed with this a whole lot, but I messed with it a little bit, it will not track the speed. Of her or the the throughput of her network connection, uh hmm. activity monitor will, but istat menus won 't, which is yeah, yeah which is Some odd for
1: me network chipset or something
0: it could be yeah, maybe that 's what it is, maybe it 's reading maybe istat menus is pulling a, a proxys you know whatever variable that that doesn 't exist really there.
1: yeah, yeah, now think about the netbooks because I was actually yeah, when I was visiting my uh my friends in the city we we went through I think it was a staples, and they had a uh, display of netbooks yeah the keyboards so that's the other reason i I cannot uh, personally now now probably for a younger user like your daughter (laughs) it'd work out because i cannot type on these netbook keyboards and if i can't type on it it's
0: it's useless so here's the thing and and this is partially in fact a big part of the reason that i went with uh not only the dell but the the mini 10v as opposed to the mini 9 and there there still are some mini 9s out there and those are are uh hackintoshable very easily as well uh the reason i went with the 10v is many many people told me get the 10v the keyboard on it is the best netbook keyboard you're going to find and i have to agree uh if any if i have full size n- it's darn near full size okay because i
1: consider it uh, i'm pretty sure everything that apple has offered has had what i would Classifies a
0: full size yeah. keyboard,
1: yeah, in that the spacing is, you know, for for most adult fingers
0: works out. So okay, yeah. My father was here uh, on Christmas Day, and and he was he's like, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to use this keyboard. He's like, that would be my big concern. I said, you know what, try it out, and and he checked it out. He said that this amazes me that they got okay. a usable keyboard into nice. a uh, you know into a form mm-hmm. factor this size. Yeah, it it really you know now that I've set it up for her, I'm thinking, man, for 260 bucks. <laughs> Uh, you know, is this the machine I want to have to travel with, uh, right. You know, could I, could I deal with having an iMac or, or, you know, some Mac pro or some, you know, more permanent machine in my office and, uh, and then just have one of these netbooks to travel with. And I'm pretty close to it. The one complaint or one hesitation I have is it only comes with one gigabyte of RAM And, Mm. you know, and putting another gig in involves ripping this thing apart. It's, you know, it's not a clean process at all. And I don't think it's a relatively cheap process either. So that's, that's my only hesitation is, you know, gosh, upgrading this to two gigs. I think two gigs is as far as I can go with, with, with this, but even doing that is not really a, a feasible process. So, so that's, that's my only hesitation there, but otherwise you know, especially for if you want an extra machine around the house, especially something just to have like in the living room mm-hmm. that you want to just grab, you know, bigger than an iPhone, bigger than an iPod touch. Something you want to just be able to grab quick, look something up on the Web, maybe, uh, you know, manage your Netflix queue uh, program, your TV, whatever it is that you would do with your Mac that you'd have to get up and go to the living room. This is the thing, man. I mean, again, it's two hundred and sixty bucks. That's it. You're done. Mm. Uh, and it works really, really well, so I, I'm I'm really impressed with it. And you can get it for more money, obviously, but it's only ten or fifteen bucks more on the refurb site. Uh, I just couldn't find one the day I needed to order hers. Uh, you can get it with a 80211 n chip as well, uh, so you could even have faster wireless if you uh, if you so desire. So I highly, highly recommend it cool. if you're if you're gonna if you're willing to uh, you know bend the rules of Apple's uh, eula. So you got anything to add to that, John? While we're here. No, okay. maybe I'll uh, get one. I, I recommend it, man. I think you'd like it. Have, you know, having it bounce around. I'm thinking of getting another one. I, I mean, uh, you know, mm. yeah.
1: Until they come out with a patch of death that removes support. Then you'll be
0: sorry. Well, they did that. That's ten 2 yeah. Well, they're going to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that because there's there's I, I have two schools of thought on this. and I haven't researched it a whole lot, but my my theory is they did one of two things. They either intentionally removed it or mm-hmm. and this is a, a pretty valid or, you know, keeping in mind that snow leopard part of the the, the whole gestalt of, show, of snow leopard has been to trim down, trim the fat in the os right they pulled out all the power pc code they pulled out everything they could it's possible that some engineer uh working on 1062 said hey wait a minute you know we're compiling this kernel and we're building support for every processor known to man why don't we just put in and specify here's the processors we need and you know what give me a list of all the processors that we use and let's only build that in and trim the fat out of the kernel and you know that, that yeah that's been the whole mindset with Snow Leopard, so nah. you can't discount it. I don't know if I buy
1: that, because Intel is smart enough to make a processor that will, maybe not as effectively as, as uh, but no, it can figure out its code set. It can be like, I got cores, yeah, here's my instruction set.
0: Yeah, I'll but if the kernel's it. not compiled to, to support it, then, I mean, you know, it's not going to work, right? I don't know. I don't know. Mm,
1: not yeah. optimally.
0: Right. I'll give you that because I haven't done low
1: low down processor stuff for a while. But to exc- it, 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 I am curious about the technical justification for it. Right. Right. And, and obviously, it's an Apple- Intel processor. It runs Intel code. You got it. Some it, it does. I mean, of course, what's in the Macs, you know, being the latest and greatest, does a lot of things. You know, the Atom is is you know definitely a low end processor, so it may not do some things as efficiently. But to, to ban a processor by the OS. <laughs> when it's in the same family to me is is kind of draconian but then maybe that's just me it's like all right you'll you try to run it on this you know same with apple i mean you know they they support multiple generations yeah my my g5 proving that i'm, I'm not expecting blazing performance on everything but right so yeah i i'd love to know from uh, anyone why why did they do this was it a technical or kind of a ha you know we're gonna you know Poke you in the eye because you, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> try to uh, install this on a machine that's not an Apple machine.
0: Yeah, and it could be. It, it, yeah, I'm not discounting either one. I'm just saying I, I i think there's merit on both sides. We will know the answer when 1063 comes out. Mm-hmm. uh You know, I think that will that will answer that question, and then uh, you know I'll decide what to do with her machine then. For now, I've skipped 1062 from the software update, mm-hmm. and I I did the manual 1061 yeah. upgrade. Uh Before we get into questions here, John, I want to go through contact info, especially because this is a premium show and i I want to make sure i want to announce actually that we have yes, a separate email address only only for premium subscribers well here 's the deal. anybody can send email to this address, but we've set up premium at macgeekgab dot com for all of you premium subscribers to send your questions to. Now, there's two reasons for this. One, we are going to prioritize these questions. Uh, if, we're, if we're building a show, we're going to try and include as many of the premium questions as we can. Now, we're not going to guarantee we can get to all of them, and here's why. Some of your questions are far too specific to be addressed in the show. Uh, we do attempt to answer everything that comes in in some way, shape, or form, either personally or out here on the show. So, uh, you know, so know that your questions will get read the other reason is I would like to make sure that uh, I would like to take every effort to include in the premium show questions and tips from premium or especially questions from premium members. Uh, so that, that's really the goal here. Uh, so if you send them to that, that'll let us know. Yeah, I'm a premium subscriber. So you can go ahead and include my question in a premium show and I'm going to hear the answer. So uh, so it's twofold. Yes, you will get priority, and you'll also get. Uh, you know, we'll also be able to kind of delineate what's going on here, at least. Uh, at least, as we figure out how this is all going to work in the uh, in the mid to near future, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the first one. Premium at dot com is the did place. Did you say premium at dot com? I did. I said premium at macgeekab dot com, <laughs> and you can send not only text. But you can send audio there, and that's the that's our preferred way for sending audio. Uh, and you can send video and pictures and anything else you want to uh, send to us. We're we're always happy to receive multimedia uh, in any way, shape, or form. Huh. If you don't want to send to premium at macgeekcab com, you can still call us at two zero six 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 geek, and that is four three three five. But not only that, um, oh, what's next here? Uh, oh, you can Skype us. That's right. Why the heck not? Yeah. To MacGeekGab. And that works just fine. Uh, And, of course, you can see the show notes and everything else there at MacGeekGab.com. So, those are, that's our contact information. Yeah. Uh, You ready to move on to questions here, John? You want to talk about, oh, Pete wants to talk about Twitter. We might as well talk about Twitter. He's offering up the addresses. All right. Yeah. So. John,
1: John F. Braun. Is me Dave Hamilton. Is him Pilot Pete. Is the other him. That'll Mac do it. E-cab is the specific to the podcast, and um, Mac Observer is the granddaddy Observer. account.
0: Yeah, I think that's the uh, yeah. All right, moving on to your questions. Michael writes, "Hey guys, can you explain why my late 2000 iMac is paging out?" Uh, He sent us a screenshot of activity monitor, and he says, as you can see, I have the RAM. This happens when I'm doing when I'm using iMovie or other memory hog applications, even though I have four gigs of RAM. I understand that there is little free RAM, but look at the inactive that I still have. Why would my machine page out files at all? Maybe you guys could explain a little more about Snow Leopard's memory use. Okay, so uh, in order to understand what we're talking about here, it's best to open up activity monitor and look at at the bottom. There are five Apple calls yes. them tabs. I, you know, I have I still have trouble with that <laughs> term. They're buttons. Yeah,
1: well, they're buttons
0: because they're they're kind of a three D kind of yeah. uh, But anyways, yeah, I agree. With click on things. the click on the one called System Memory, and you'll see at the bottom two columns of data, and then a, a little pie chart. And the first column lists free, wired, active, inactive, and used, and then the second column lists VM size. Page ins, page outs and swap used. What we're talking about here is inactive in the first column and page outs and swapped used in the second column. Indeed, Michael is complaining just to frame this. Michael is uh, complaining. He's noting that uh, he has on his machine a lot listed in the inactive. In fact, uh, in the screenshot he sent us. There's 1.07 gigabytes used in an active swap used in the right column is showing 631 megabytes and page outs are showing 496 megabytes. Okay. So here's what happens. Uh, you want to take this John or, or do you want me to keep continue running with it? I've been talking for a um, while here.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll take a piece here, okay. but I think the piece that uh, that is of most concern here based on what I know about how the, the memory management occurs is the page outs. Yeah. When page outs, and actually I've looked at both my machines because I just rebooted them. And the, the G5, I pretty much only start up for the podcast or for doing uh, iTunes work and other things. And the, uh, because I was trying out some things, which we're going to talk about later in the show, I've rebooted my uh, oh. uh, MacBook Pro <laughs> quite a few times to, again, for you, the listener, it, you'll hear about it. But both of those machines show page outs zero megabytes. That is the pristine state of the operating system and the machine. Now, and, and, and I think the concern here, and I think he mentioned this, is that page outs, there's a number there. Now, now the only thing I want to mention, and maybe you can pick it up, Dave, is that initially your machine will always have zero there. Correct. Um, at some point, and what page out means is that when the machine wants to draw data from memory it didn't get it from the physical or electronic memory in the computer, but it got it from a a swap file or it got it from
0: disk. No. No. Okay. Page out means it had to take memory from uh, either wired, active, or inactive, somewhere in RAM, and save it out to the disk. Uh, That's what a page out is. Meaning it's saving stuff from... Uh wired uh wired's the wrong word. From electronic memory to you whatever your storage device is right. for for temporary storage there. Yeah? Yeah. Am I am I taking it from here, John? I guess I am. Uh go. <laughs> okay. So so that's what page outs are. Page outs are when you've you essentially run out of memory and it's taking, as I said, Data that you've had in RAM and saving it off to your hard disk and and we'll we'll call your physical hard disk or your SSD drive or whatever that is, your hard drive in this case. Uh, and, And so as you save data in page outs, it's going to increase the amount of swap that is used. What his complaint is, is that inactive memory is so high. Why are page why is it paging out? Why is it not just using up inactive memory in theory anything that's stored in inactive memory is stuff that was loaded isn't needed currently is marked as you can write this out you can do whatever you want Uh, so you can flush this out we'll reload it why aren't we using that and the answer is complicated Uh, it depends on how the apps are coded uh, and it depends on what's happened with your system as john said the Page outs and swap used are a cumulative number, which means that it's not just the current state of affairs, but it's the state of affairs since the system has been booted. So it's possible at some point you had a whole lot less inactive available and it had to page out. Or it's possible that the OS decided, no, we're going to page out anyway, even though we could chew up inactive memory. And and there are situations where that's what that's exactly what happens. Uh, it leaves stuff in an active untouched and pages it out anyway. Uh, do you have anything to add to
1: that, okay. John? Okay. No, I think, no, again, I was looking at my description here. Yeah, I got a bit confused here. But page outs, yeah, I think there was a, you know, is was a page out due to inactive um, exchange between active and inactive or active and swap file. And I think you and I concluded, yeah, it was, it was pretty much swap file,
0: right? Yeah, page out page means page out occurs. Data is being written to the swap file, is what that means. Yes, yeah. and when that happens, that's when
1: things crawl because you're talking, as we like to say, orders of magnitude, right? Differences in performance here. So when that starts happening, and and yeah, as you said, when that figure starts increasing as you're watching it, especially, uh, you have an app or an environment where you got too much going on, and you got to either you know shut some things down. Um, and that's actually where will, well one thing to add is that I do like menu meters because although I know you, you you have changed your allegiance but I think they both show this but in menu meters if you go to their memory menu it will show a VM statistics page uh, sub uh, category yeah yeah and it'll show page ins and page outs and this will reflect what's happening in real time if you see page outs when you click on that menu um, same as activity monitor monitor but it's it's a bit more convenient. If that number is increasing while you're looking at the menu,
0: then whatever you have happening is is too much. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. It, yeah. It, it, and, and that's a good point while you're looking at it, because you could have had an event happen, you know, previously that caused all sorts of paging out. But right now your system is managing itself fine. So it's not you know, it's not worth worrying about what I will say, though. Is even if you have a high amount of inactive RAM, like Michael's talking about here, uh, if your free memory is at, you know, less than 100 megabytes and and maybe even less than 50 megabytes, you're running out of RAM. Uh, And I don't care how much is showing as inactive. Uh, The system has needed that RAM for one reason or another. Inactive is simply marked as if you have to, you can get rid of this. Uh, but it, it really, what's going on is you're using more than, than you have, uh, especially if your free memory is below 50 and you see your page outs number rising four gigs seems like a lot. I've got four gigs in my, uh, in my MacBook pro and there are almost every day, you know, I, I page out into swap because I'm just running too many apps. So it, it is the reality of the situation that. You, you know, you probably in Michael's case, you probably need more than four gigs of RAM for doing what you're doing. I mean, the the one thing you can look at is uh, when you launch activity monitor, you can look at the real memory column. And and that's a, a great way to see how much any given app takes up. And uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you see that there's some and you can even sort by that column by clicking on it. And if you see that there's one app that's just taking up a ton, quit it. And then relaunch it it'll probably oh. come in a lot lower and, and buy you some headroom. Uh, Safari is one of those mail is another they, I, I don't want to say they have memory leaks, but I want to say they have memory leaks uh, because especially sure. Safari it just I mean it just doesn't release RAM like it well like i I'll would look, expect it to
1: Well I'll observe in the, uh, the screenshot that he sent us iMovie is chewing about 800 gigs uh, 800, megs. 800 megs yeah of RAM yeah. Um, iTunes another probably 300 yeah um something called mouse wizard grabbing another 200 Mm. that's too many that's too much yeah that's that's starting to add up so he's already got uh, you know over a gigabyte with three applications Uh, actually i wish i could click on this real mem yeah uh tab here (laughs) yeah though i see he's running 64 bit but but the thing is um and i think we've mentioned this in the past if you're not using an app you know quit it it's easy to to when you're done with itunes to just leave it there but as you said dave quit an app um the the os will thank you and your computer will be happy so if you're not running something actively um don't let it hang in the background and i think you know that's that's a paradigm thing that i've i've seen with so many new users is they uh, nor should they really know this yeah i'd I'd see this almost in advance in, in os technology is that you know and like you know my mom she starts up iPhoto and and stuff to import pictures from the camera and I had to explicitly make a note for her you know I was there for family stuff and all that I had to say you know when you're done with this make sure you quit it because your computer which is now a uh, it's an iBook G4 ooh, <laughs> running 10.4.11 but it still works sure it still works really great I I actually got them a new camera plugged it in iPhoto started up even under this OS and, uh, and, and it talked to it just fine but um you know, just saying if you're not running something, um, either Scrabble or whatever on the machine, shut it down. It, 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 to me, you've got to have a very
0: good reason to leave an app open all the time if you're not using it. And and it's worth noting, I went through this with my daughter. I was actually really impressed with her. Um, but uh, even if you close all of an app's windows, and this is one place where Windows is, I think, more intuitive than than mac os 10 in terms of what most novice users assume and that is even on the mac even if you close all of an app's windows the app itself is still running Mm -hmm. uh so that's uh you know and it's still taking up ram now it may be taking up somewhat less ram if it doesn't have any docs open, but in like in, a, in the case of an app like Safari, you can close all its windows and it's still going to take up 400 megs of RAM if that's what it was taking up beforehand. And I pointed that out to my daughter. In fact, I showed her uh, that you can use command tab to pull up, uh, you know, the icons of all the apps you have running. And she had closed all the windows. And, and when I showed her command tab, she said, whoa, those are all still running. And, and I I was actually impressed that she got that concept. And I said, yeah, she's, oh, I want to quit those. And And then I showed her. Mm-hmm. Uh, a keyboard shortcut. So here's the tangent with the bonus. Uh, as you're tabbing through apps, you know, you hold down the command key and you hit tab and it starts going through the icons of all the uh, apps that are running. If you want to quit one of them as you're as the cursor is over that, as that one's highlighted, go ahead and hit the Q key uh, and that will quit that app. Or at least it will issue a quick command. If you've got unsaved documents, then you'll have to go in there and, and manage those. But uh, but that will send the the quit uh, commands that app. So it, it makes sure you have actually quit the apps that, that you've closed all the documents from because, uh, because in, you know, in windows, that's what happens. Once you close the last document, bam, that app goes away. Whereas uh, on the Mac, that does not happen. So,
1: no, that's a good thing to mention. Yeah. With the command tab, you can
0: quit things as well as just the yeah. uh, flip through them. Yeah. Yeah. So I told my daughter, she should uh, subscribe to the premium show, but uh, she, yeah, yes, yeah, she, she laughed. I gave her a better price, Dave. What? I, I you told can't her, she make she her pay full got, price. she got a ton of money for Christmas. <laughs> I told her she was good to go. Hey, you know. Uh, all right, time to move on to Finbar. Indeed. All right, Finbar writes: I have a 13-inch MacBook Pro that I use for home and school. At home, I tend to leave the volume up high, but this results in the loud startup chime. The loud startup chime when I turn the MacBook on. In school, I was wondering if there was a way to make the startup chime never occur. I figured that the only way to do this was to have the volume muted at shutdown. So I decided to make the following Apple script to mute the volume. And his Apple script is simple. It's a one-liner and it says, tell application system events to set volume zero. But I want this script to automatically run at shutdown time. Do you know if there's any way to make a script or even an application run at shutdown? All right, so... I'm going to go through. Uh, no, no. Number one is
1: he should not be afraid of whatever his startup sound is, no matter what the volume is. Just go with it, brother. Just You play so whatever in you in think church, is cool. Buddy, no worries. That's right.
0: It doesn't matter. That's you're right.
1: on the church board. But, but yeah. Yeah. If that's not acceptable. So so number one, I would say, you know, make a
0: statement, have some spirit, but, but, but lacking that. Um Dave. Uh, yeah. OK, so I'll take it here because, John, you actually have a better answer to this. <laughs> yes. but, uh, but the path I headed down was answering his direct question, uh, which was finding a way to uh, shut down to, to create a shutdown items uh, to, to create a shutdown item. For those of you that used Mac OS nine, uh, there was a shutdown items folder and you could put apps in there. And when you did, they would run at shutdown. Mac OS 10 does not have this, Uh, but Mac OS 10 has a couple of other things sort of baked under the hood that that allow for this sort of thing. There is there are two things I found. One, uh, there's a forum thread over at Mac OS 10 hints that we will link to that shows you how to create a service definition. Now, this would be a Unix service definition, but it's pretty Mm. straightforward instructions. Uh, And inside a service definition, you set a couple of things you set when the service starts up when the service stops and what happens in those instances. And you can leave the startup portion blank. So you could create a service called, in fact, you could even call it shutdown items. Uh, and when the service starts up, you leave it blank. And then in the stop definition, you say, go run uh, this application. And and then it would it would do this. The other thing is uh, Mike Bombich uh, over at bombich.com has a login hooks uh description using a uh an open source project called ihook to do it and uh and I'll leave that as an exercise for the listener that gets a little it's slightly less complex uh than the macOS 10 hints thing but it's, it's slightly more complex cuz there's more things at play but there is a way to do shutdown items uh and and certainly to do what uh, Finbar wants this this would accomplish that okay how, right, to, however, to, 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 well,
1: uh, I have a question. Yeah, though I think no, I think I found it. But, but so when we're talking about these services, I think these services are actually text files or scripts. Correct. In in particular folders. It, it's we'll Unix stuff. Right. Okay. No, I'm looking over the article that you pointed to, and yeah, I just want to make that clear because it wasn't clear to me. Right. Moments ago.
0: Right. Continue. That's right. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm done. You have a. Uh, you, but you have. You, you, I like that you looked at it from, from the 10,000-foot uh, view because you came up with a much better solution for Finbar's actual concern as opposed to his direct question. Well, the concern here was, how do I make my startup volume
1: not blast the room? Right. And the answer is, there is something called startup pain <laughs> from Arcana Research, which I verified moments ago. Well, not moments, maybe. Minutes ago, um, on my MacBook running Snow Leopard, and it works just fine. It's a pref pane. You install it. it. It appears in your system preferences. You can set the volume. I set it at halfway. I restarted my machine. It sounded reasonable. I then put it at minimum volume, at which point the pref pane checked a mute box. Isn't that nice? And I did that. And when the machine started up, I did not get blasted, or I didn't hear anything. So yeah. I don't know what it does. I'm sure it's mucking about with something at the lower level of the OS, but it's a nice front and it's in a place that, you know, is easy to get to. So
0: that's, that's the how you answer. do
1: that. Though, though I was uncertain because when I went to the page of the vendor, they have both a PowerPC version and a PowerPC Intel version. And they didn't make explicit. I mean, they were talking about a tiger version and stuff. So I was uneasy that whatever they were doing was wacky enough that it wouldn't work with snow leopard, but, as I said, for you, the listener, I did this on my machine, risking it all, and it worked. Awesome. I wasn't too scared, though. No. Yeah, I mean, what's <laughs> it's the- only the startups. That's right. But still, they, they didn't. You know, and I got to say that 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 is a concern as of late when, when you and I try to, you know, get underneath the covers and figure out how things work is looking at utilities that don't explicitly support Snow Leopard Especially if they're you know off the beaten path and doing low level hardware stuff makes me a, a bit nervous though
0: again, you and I can take it that's right we can <laughs> We can take getting underneath the covers um mm-hmm. I think it's time to move on to Joe Yes, Joe says I just got a new twenty seven inch iMac with the i seven processor, just setting it up, checking the apps, all the normal stuff. One thing I have not yet figured out is my laser printer which I've connected to a D-Link DSP-301U print server. This is basically a Windows-based device, but I did get it set up and it has worked for years now on my network. However, AppleTalk is now gone from Snow Leopard, no doubt one of the new features, so I cannot get it installed in my printer list. I installed it as an IP print resource, but I don't recall its IP address and that leads to my actual question. How does one go about finding all the allocated and connected IP addresses to their router? I recently upgraded to the Linksys WRT320N, and it does not seem to have a feature for showing the DHCP client list. Rather than pinging hundreds of potential addresses, is there a smarter way of doing this? Okay, so to boil this yes. down, what Joe wants to do is figure out what, do, what, uh, what IP addresses have been assigned to any devices on his network because that narrows it down from 255 to 256 possible addresses to potentially, you know, seven uh, for him to try for this printer. Is, is, would you am I getting that right, John? Well, I, I think he wants to
1: find the IP address of the printer. And he, he does. But he, he and it's a mystery right now.
0: It's a and mystery. It's a-
1: Right. It's, uh, it's, uh, so my only comment would be I'm I'm curious as to how the printer is set up right now to get an IP address.
0: Well so he, he he says that the printer's connected to this D link print server, and the D link ah. print server is is presumably the gateway from whatever uh way the printer works oh, okay. to to get it to Ethernet, right? Or or perhaps uh right. I, I can't I don't know if uh, All right. So I think the it's assumption probably USB is... to Ethernet, yeah.
1: So the assumption is an IP for the uh, IP address for the printer exists, but we don't know what it is. Th-
0: that's correct. Yeah, it's an Ethernet to USB print server is what this little device is. Okay, and so the printer
1: is not going to because I know a lot of printer, you know, as we chatted beforehand, a lot of printers if you if you press the right buttons will tell you, oh, I'm this IP address, but it, but it sounds like in in this case because it's a print server that that won't. Probably won't work.
0: Yeah, although some, to be fair, some print servers have a button on them that will force their connected printer to do exactly what you're talking about and print out
1: a status page. And I've had that, too. I think you and I both, yeah, when we had the HP wireless thing, which we got quite a while ago. But I remember if you if you plugged it, it plugged it in and you held down the whatever button, the reset button, it would spit out a page saying I'm at this IP address. Right. There you go. So so number one, I guess the 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 initial approach to this problem is, does your device have any sort of magical, uh, you know, offbeat key press startup mode where if you hold it down, it says, yeah, this is the address that I got eventually. Right.
0: This is lacking that. Yeah. But in general, no, in general, that's the right first step here. Uh, The second step that I would use when when talking about a printer is I would go into system preferences, print and fax. And simply choose, uh, you know, add a printer and see if it magically shows up there. Sometimes they will. Uh, oh, but, well,
1: but, that window shows, uh, if, if I recall, I, I'm not looking at it now, but I think that shows pretty much any printer with any protocol that decides to share with the rest of the, the network.
0: That's right. And that can be Apple talk, uh, but it can also be Bonjour. So if this print server happens to be Bonjour capable and remember Bonjour is not Apple's uh, protocol, that's Apple's name for the zero protocol, which is an industry standard. So it's possible that it uses it. But in this case, again, I don't think that it does. So so Joe is left. He can print to it uh, using an IP address which is fine. There's nothing wrong with, with setting a printer up that way. In fact, I've set uh, one of my printers up that way so that when I'm connected uh, to my VPN from the outside world, it, it knows to talk to it directly. But, uh, but you know, you have to know the IP in order to do that. So that leads us to Joe's question. How do we find the IP addresses of any of the machines that are on our local network And and there's two ways. Joe already talked about. Well, there's many ways. Joe talked about one of them, which is go to the router itself, the device that's dishing out these IP addresses and see if it gives you a list of the things that it that it dished out. Some routers will. Some routers won't Uh, his his won't. So we move on to step two. Mm -hmm. Step two is i uh, you, you, do you want are you to, asking me uh i could be i have an well, idea
1: then I, I will give you an answer so step two would be let's assume that d h c p is the method uh and i p is the protocol that the printer is using yeah um there is a utility um that can help you and I'm going to mention this it's a it's a little geeky a little esoteric but I like it because it's a multifaceted tool and you may need something called a package manager to install it but I'll get right to it um nmap nmap is a network mapping tool it's it's sometimes used for vulnerability assessments and uh trying to you know figure out what a machine is running in order well for whatever reason it's neither good nor evil it's a tool but anyways this tool lets you and, and I think Dave will suggest another tool, but this one is a freebie. If you get a package manager manager again, you can use it. And and the, the specific command here is nmap space dash V that space dash small s capital P, and then in single quotes, arranged by P addresses. Um, in this case, I'm gonna punch in star and close the single quote because that's the subnet that I have assigned to my DHCP range. So the first thing is you have to figure out how to get that range and and for that, we may want to back up a bit in a moment, but what that, this command does is basically hits everything in this range of IP addresses and says, are you there? And it does it very quickly and you get a report afterwards saying this device is either up or down. So this is probably <laughs> starting at the deep level as to how to sweep a range of IP addresses for a device that is uh, on the network, but it works because I, I tried this just, you know, before the show and I, I found my IP printer and my TiVo and a few other things. It said, yes, this is up. Interesting. So, so now you may have a more use user friendly, but I, I like Nmap and it, it was a chance for me to mention Nmap. It's still a, a very good tool.
0: Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Okay. Uh, so the way that I would do it is I would actually use a third party utility, uh, but, but it's fair to, to back up. Uh, there is something built into OS 10 that would let you do this, uh, albeit in a very manual way. You could either use the terminal and type a command called ping space, and then the IP address. So let's say that your max IP address is 192.168.101. So what you would do. Is you would ping 192.168.1 and see if you get a response. And then you hit control C. And then ping 192.168.1.2 and see if you get a response. It's oh, terrible. And really you should start with 192.168.0. And you're going to go all the way up through 192.168.1.255. That's the hard way. But It's manual. It requires no third-party software, and it's guaranteed to be effective and mind-numbing. That's step one, or that's path number one. Well, mind-numbing
1: in that, uh, if, yeah. if if, I recall, the, those addresses, uh, one of those is a broadcast address, which will get... Oh, hey,
0: right. you just here. stumbled onto the... Uh, <laughs> Actually, I may answer. have a better
1: way to do it with the ping. Yeah, so ping. Uh, That's it. It's that, been a you a lot than good, baby. You, you got it. No. So, no. You did in it, IP John. Network, in IP networks, if you ping, I think, what is the maximum value of the subnet. Yes. I, I believe 255 means broadcast to, or, or whatever the bit mask may be. It, it, it may be 255, maybe something else. But if you do that, supposedly what will happen, depending if the router allows it, because sometimes they don't, because it's such a in position it'll blast everybody saying yeah anybody there and and you get a flood of responses but i,
0: oh, I i've seen it no, work dude, but i've seen dude, it not work it works well at He'd least it works it. Yeah. on my network and so i did i did a my my network is 192.168.42 for obvious reasons dot x so <laughs> mm-hmm. i pinged one nine two dot 255 and oh, no. instantly i started getting back responses every second from devices on my network, uh, and so you start getting duplicates of this. But but if you look at it, you know I can see okay. Here's the, all the devices that I have. So that's the that's the quick way to do it from the uh, command line. I think you can also use network utility, uh, which is in your uh, it, in one of the applications. I think it's in the the uh, utilities folder. But I think you can if you go to your uh, uh, network utility, you go to the ping service button tab apple and put in two five five and send only let's say two pings it will it will do exactly the same thing so you'll see everything listed now again as john points out that's only if your router supports it so that that's that's step number in fact that would be step number one because you don't want to do the mind numbing process if you have to so path number one is dot two five five of your network Path number two is pinging each one independently. If you have the time, uh, path number three would be downloading IP net monitor from sustainable softworks or Sustworks.com. That will allow you to ping an IP range. So it will do the manual pings of all these devices, uh, but it will automate that process for you. So, uh, so that I think that will, uh, that that will get you there, right? We've, we've offered lots of different options, but yeah, man, thank you so much for remembering that broadcast address. That's brilliant. I always forget that's about why I, that.
1: That's why I went to school, man. There's, yeah. there's a scene in aviation, man. It's better to be lucky than good. You know, you got to stumble across the right <laughs> answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. <laughs> no, it's not stumble. It's, 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 <laughs> it's going back in the mists of time and, yeah. uh, and trying to remember what in all the mind, numbingly boring hours that i was in class is <laughs> actually useful information and every now and then. It, it, yeah finding the right card in the old roll
0: dicks that's there. <laughs> it that's really what it is yeah 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 triggering the right brain cell all right cool i think we've got time for one more yeah mm-hmm. we can well we don't but we're gonna make time for one more uh and we're gonna uh we're gonna hear from jason we're gonna we're gonna see if audio comments want to work today Hi, John and Dave. I've got an external drive with my iTunes library on it. It had two petitions, and I wanted to get rid of the petitions, so I cloned it to a different external drive. And what I've found is if that different external drive is online, even though it's got a different name, if I import something into the iTunes library, it goes onto the, uh, the external backup drive, not the main drive. Um, is there any way of fixing that without reformatting the the backup drive and then copying everything across using a backup app? Thanks.
1: All right. Uh, Dave, I think the first place to look here, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little unca- unclear on the problem, so maybe you can help me out here. Okay. But it sounds like there's a confusion between what drive his content is on is that itunes is is uh not looking at the place that he expects
0: that sound that sounds like it in, in fact it sounds like when he's playing files itunes knows exactly where yeah. to go to get the data but when he's importing yeah. files it 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 will revert to the drive it used to go to even if uh even if the other drive is, is mounted, right? Right. I mean, okay. okay. All right. I think I'm on the same path. Uh, yep. I think I'm on
1: the right path. So I'm going to assume because what I'm looking at right now is uh, latest iTunes. Yeah. And um, I think where he may want to look to, to just uh, anchor himself here is the advanced tab. So if you go to run latest iTunes, you go to preferences. Um, you see a bunch of icons on the, on the top. And at the far right is an advanced one. And there are items here at the top of this, which I think are probably key to this problem. One is iTunes media folder location. Now, usually most people are perfectly happy having that in their user folder, music iTunes uh, in this case, on my machine with this uh, version, iTunes Music. Most people sure. are cool with that. Of course, you can change that. I mean, right next to that is a change button and a reset button, which I guess resets it. In this case, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm with the default. But then there are some other checkboxes. Keep iTunes Media Folder organized. And copy files to iTunes Media Folder when adding to library. Um uh, I'm still trying to speculate and maybe you're thinking along with me but I, I it sounds to me like he doesn't have a good combination of all these in that things are the the the, the playback is looking in one place but the import perhaps is looking or dealing with another place so in, at least in my case I have it set to the default and I have both of those boxes checked I would verify in his case I I think of all those if that was the case on his machine, everything would be working according to design or plan. And
0: that's my input. Yeah, I I, I would agree here. I don't store my iTunes library on my internal drive. In fact, I haven't for a very long time uh, because I've simply got too much to store on the drives that come with laptops. And of course, now I've scaled back to an even smaller drive on my laptop because I'm doing the SSD thing. But uh, yes, in fact, I, I see this happen But it's intentional behavior. If I'm traveling and I don't have I store my iTunes library on an external bus powered drive, it can either be bus powered with USB if supported or certainly with Firewire. Uh, If I don't have that drive connected and I start downloading podcasts, for example, or import anything, it will save it to my uh, music folder uh, in in my home directory. Right. But if I have that drive connected, magically it knows, ah, yeah, that's where I want it. And, I've, and it's because I've set it in this place. So it sounds like, in Jason's case, he's got it set to the old, the original drive name. Uh, and when that drive's connected, boom, it puts it there. Otherwise, it puts it in the other place. So, yeah, John, I, I agree with you. Going into that, that iTunes Advanced Preferences uh, and settings, setting the iTunes Media Folder location would be the... Uh, the magic answer, so,
1: and the other guys to make sure that they're all in yeah. sync here. Yeah, yeah, because that caught my attention. Copy files to iTunes media folder when adding to library. Why would you not want it that way? Well, here I personally don't know. Or well, you mentioned a case. Uh, I I tend to store all the content on one machine, or I segment right. it between the computer and the iPod. So I have one iPod. That is, uh, music. I have another one that is applications. So, so I segment them, but, but yeah, I could see that.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing. If, if you either segment your, your music and and movies and all that stuff on different drives, then you wouldn't want it to copy it in. Or if you have a network drive and, and let's say you have, you know, a ton of songs out on your network drive and, and you know, and and we don't do this here, but we probably should. If, if we had all the stuff stored on our Drobo, let's say, and then, uh, I wanted to have my own iTunes library that accessed all the stuff on the Drobo and my wife wanted to have hers right now. The only way to do that would be to uncheck that box and not have it copy to our, our iTunes library and, and just, you know, drag it all in, uh, and, uh, And and you know that way it would link to all the stuff on the Drobo, but it wouldn't necessarily copy it all to our Macs uh, as we added it to our iTunes libraries. Uh, You know, there's a bunch of different ways to do it, but that that would be one way. So, right. And I think that puts us in a position to move out here, right?
1: Uh, So, yeah.
0: You got anything else to add here? And, and as I said, what could be the last show of two thousand nine? I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. We may wind up doing another one, John. It's possible, but uh, I am leaving Wednesday morning for Miami, so I'm pretty sure we're not going to do one tomorrow. So this is probably the last one for there. I'm year. occupied tomorrow. So, see, there you go.
1: So it. Well, I'm planning to see. Um, yes. Oh, what am I seeing? Hold on. I'm gonna go Avatar. see fish this weekend. On, Avatar. Uh, Sorry.
0: You're spending the whole day watching Avatar?
1: No. No, but I'm visiting my, my pals in the city again. <laughs> uh-huh, no, Avatar okay. IMAX three D. Dude, that's like the Trifecta. From what I hear, if you're gonna see it, you're gonna, and yeah, we got we got we have one of those nearby too, but but yeah, that there's uh, cool. there's a couple in New York City as well. So I heard it's a good flick and three D IMAX.
0: How could you go along? You can't. Sounds like the right thing. Uh, all right, so I will. Uh, I want to send out thanks to Michael Johnston of iPhone Alley for converting this show into AAC format for us and for all of you, of course, and also to Cashfly at Cashfly.com for providing all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. And really, I want to extend a thanks again to all of you who have uh, subscribed to and, and listened to this show. We really appreciate Likewise. appreciate the support on the premium effort that we're doing here and uh, we intend to continue it for quite some time so and we give it back to
1: you and dave i was I was very pleased to see the uh email address, the new email address don't forget that what, what was that again? Premium at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> no and that just helps us uh you know again prioritize uh you know how to how to just put the the show and the other show together yeah just yeah. cool.
0: We're trying to keep it as one flowing entity, but uh, but if, if you know, if we are forced to segregate as we often are because there are simply too many questions to answer, uh, we can prioritize and as John said, you know, segment as necessary. So thank you very much.
1: And the show notes are always for now free, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Absolutely. I don't think okay. that'll change. No. I don't think so.
1: In an airplane. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Don't get caught.
1: <laughs> May not.